welcome to the Abstract Veterans Podcast. Today, Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger speak with Sarah Martindale and Jared Rowland. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. Visit the Abstract Athlete for more information and news. The Abstract Veterans Podcast with Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, good morning from the great state of Montana and the beautiful city of Missoula. I'm Char Gatlin, your host, uh, with my co-host, Dr. Excuse me, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Retired, uh, Kevin Sickinger. And we're back with another episode of the Abstract Veteran Series, where we bring in a lot of researchers from the Limby Sensic uh, Consortium and other areas, and we talk about their research with one goal, and that's to make it simple and easy to understand for our listeners out there. A lot of times, as you've heard me in the past, that we come across a lot of this research and maybe we don't understand it. Maybe we don't know how to ask or formulate questions. You know, that in turn, that could help us, you know, our families and our communities. So as I said, I think last episode, um, this series that we're doing this year, we're starting to focus on more of the outside of the box research, you know, looking at caregivers, not only researchers themselves, but caregivers, family members, community members, and others that are involved in different aspects of TBI to include several researchers still within the Olympic series or Olympic Sensei series. So with that, I would like to welcome our two special guests today, Dr. Jared Rowland and Dr. Sarah Martindale. Thank you for being on the show. And I see Kevin's dipped out already. Well, that's, you know what, we got to replace him. No, just totally, <laughs> totally kidding. So uh, so we'll open up, I guess, uh, ladies first with you, Dr. Martindale. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and kind of what you do. Uh, great. So I am Dr. Sarah Martindale. I am a research scientist at the Salisbury VA in Salisbury, North Carolina. Um, I am a neuroscientist by, by training, and um, I do a bunch of different research related to um, TBI as well as BLAST and PTSD. Uh, but my primary research interest is in modifiable behavioral factors or modifiable health factors um, that we can target to improve treatment as well as treatment engagement. Um, so behavioral health factors being things like sleep and pain. I'm sorry, I had to unmute. That's very interesting. Uh, wow, you're all over the place on that one. That's a lot of good, good research, but we're going to delve into that just a little bit more in just a moment. I'd like to introduce your colleague, Dr. Gerald Rowland. Uh, Dr. Rowland, tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of kind of what you do. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Um, so I'm Jared Rowland. I'm a I'm a neuropsychologist with the the VA, which uh, means I'm interested in kind of the links between brain and behavior and um, how we can better understand behavior by by understanding the brain and cognitive functioning. Um, so we uh, I also study post-deployment mental health and particularly TBI and blast exposure and really trying to better understand who goes on to have problems after TBI or how we can understand from an injury or the context of an injury who might eventually start to have problems down the road and how we might be able to identify that earlier on through through various measures. All right. Well, that's the that's the formal intro. I've known both of you for years now. Uh, we all worked together on the initial Sensi. Both of you were involved with a different study under Sensi, the uh, 34 um, dealing with blast, and then 
you guys were working for Kathy Tabor, who was the PI, and she obviously did an awesome job at, at training you guys. Uh, and then you guys took over under uh, Limbic with the uh, prospective longitudinal study. So um, if you could just give us a little bit of you know, a very short synopsis of where you started and how you got to where you are today with Sensi to Limbic Sensi. Sure, I'll jump in. Um, so, uh, so we were both actually did our postdoctoral training here at Salisbury, uh, working with Kathy Tabor and uh, Robin Hurley, uh, studying TBI. Um, and so they had been interested in uh, in TBI and BLAST for a little while, and we had been kind of following up on that, exploring that, um, and happened to be able to get a, a study funded through Sensei at that time to investigate. Um, blast and primary blast. And so that's the primary blast is when um, there is a blast, but that's the only thing that happens. So you're not thrown into a wall. You don't hit your head on anything. And blast is really the only thing that could cause the injury. And so uh, Dr. Tabor was very interested in, in primary blast and how it might injure people and what might happen. And so uh, we were able to get into that a lot with the Sensei study. Um, that was a, a really great opportunity for us. Um, and we've done a lot of great work with that. Uh, we developed uh, actually an interview to characterize BLAST through that study. Um, and using that data, we've, we've shown a lot about how, how BLAST can affect people and what, under what circumstances it might lead to these negative outcomes. Um, and as Limbic uh, was forming out of Sensei into its, you know, its second round of funding, we were fortunate enough to be invited to be part of the, the prospective study, the kind of multi-site uh, study. And so we were very happy to be able to, to join up with everybody else in that, in that study as well. Um, and so we've been, we've been running that study. Um, Sarah and I have been running that study now. Um, and it's been, it's been a very nice experience to get to work with everybody around Limbic and kind of learn how our work fits with what everyone else is doing, because there's a lot of different stuff that happens in Limbic. Um, and we kind of learn what other people do, how they do that, and how our work fits in with all that. Yeah, I have to say it's actually been pretty cool to have like an independent study that was sort of on the outskirts of um, of Sensi focused on on BLAST. But it's been really exciting to be able to take what we applied in um, Sensi Study 34 and then be able to now contribute to the larger consortium. It's nice to be part of a large consortium whose mission that we really subscribe to um, and be able to contribute to just really good work that's going on good research speaking speaking of contributing aren't you briefing at the or presenting at the upcoming mhsrs uh yeah so i am going to be i'll, I'll be presenting on sensi 34 data um at mhsrs um and jared will be presenting uh, a poster as well so we'll be there and Presenting, presenting different aspects of um, the work on Sensi 34. Um, I will be presenting on blast and symptoms and uh, cognitive outcomes. And then Jared's going to be presenting on uh, functional networks, I believe. You know, it's interesting when you mentioned the comment about Sensi, you know, I've been, or Limbic Sensi, you know, I've been with them when they were Sensi and then and now Limbic sort of as a consumer on the outside looking in. And, and you kind of hit upon it indirectly. It's always refreshing to be part of an organization such as this that has such a focus on patient care, you know, and being able to translate it out into the community, you know, in, into families and then to have secondary and tertiary considerations when it comes 
know, to civilian populace and where else can you, you know, you can put this. But I want to back up for a minute there, Dr. Roland. You made a comment, you know, looking at, at sort of primary blast versus secondary. You know, a lot of times, at least in my experience, a lot of other soldiers' experience, you know, you have a lot of blast and impact, which you, you kind of hit on. I mean, the, the blast sends you sends you flying and you're going to hit something or there's a lot of debris, you know, up in, up in the air. Could you elucidate on that a little bit? Just uh, kind of the differences that you've seen and maybe, you know, what, uh, for what avenues that you, that you've approached to it or, you know, just, uh, yeah. <clears throat> absolutely. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting question that that's kind of been posed for a while, right? Can blast by itself injure you? Um, and initially when, you know, the wars were starting and, and people were getting lots of you know, traumatic brain injuries mildly, mostly, but, um, blast was a big thing that, hadn't really been dealt with as much before in, in prior wars. And so there were a lot of questions about what is the blast doing? How is it affecting people? Um, you know, we were changing the armors on, on cars and, you know, body armor was better. And so people were surviving a lot of these blasts that they just didn't survive previously. Um, and they had a lot of complaints afterwards that people were like, well, you know, you just kind of knocked your head on the wall. Why, why are you having so many complaints? This isn't, this doesn't necessarily fit. Um, and so people started questioning, what's the blast doing? And so, you know, in order to understand that, we, we kind of have to tease it apart. And it's hard to, to say, you know, well, with this injury that you hit your head on the wall and, you know, the blast happened and, and you know, then you fell down and hit your head on the ground as well. What was the cause? And so by trying to tease it apart and find these individuals that experienced blasts but didn't necessarily have some of these other mechanisms, we can, we can kind of see what's going on there. You know, there's a lot of what we call preclinical work, which is work with um, mice or rats or other you know, non-humans um, that has looked into this now and starting to try to, to tease that apart in a, a very, you know, methodical way. And so we wanted, we wanted to look at humans and see if we could start doing some of that work in, in humans and find some of those humans or at least quantify, you know, how much blast has happened here in some way and see if that quantification relates to any of these outcomes that we had. Um, you know, the animal work, I think it's shown pretty firmly that blast does affect the brain. <laughs> um, so I think we can kind of put that aside. You know, blast does affect the brain. Now we need to figure out when and how and under what circumstances do we need to be worried about it. And so that's where this kind of quantification comes in. So if, if you had a blast that was 10 feet away and it was of this magnitude, is it, does it matter? Or if it was a mile away and under this magnitude, does it matter? And I think it's also important to parse out that we're, there's been a lot of really good work done with BLAST TBI. So BLAST is a mechanism that causes um, a TBI. However, um, and what we were interested in in Sensi 34 is what does subconcussive blast do? You know, what does this blast that doesn't cause a TBI, should we be worried about it? Does it have any different effects? Does it contribute anything? Um, and so we do look at this, we do look at blast separately from traumatic brain injury. Um, we also look at them together, but we do quantify it separately. And that's, yeah, that's what, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to look at blast in and of it, in and of itself, in addition and, to yeah. TBI. And, and one other thing I'm, uh, to mention, in, in the preclinical work, it's really hard to tell the psychological aspects of the blast because blasts are scary things. You know, they're life-threatening things. Yes, they are. Um, and so just experiencing a blast could 
be a traumatic event, you know, that could lead to PTSD as well, right? So it was really important to us to, to characterize the psychological outcomes as well and to make sure what we're seeing and what we're studying is either, are we understanding the psychological side, the physiological side, what are the biological changes and how are they all related together? And what have you seen under, you know, I was looking at some sort of the bios and sort of your, pulled it up here, some of your, your backgrounds of research. Talk a little bit briefly, and, and this may be interesting to some of our listeners out there, some of what you've seen in the differences between sort of deployment related blast and then kind of non-deployment related blast. Because in, in my mind, at least it, it, it may be many of our listeners out there, when, when, when I think of a deployment related blast, I think it coming under, you know, stressful conditions, there could be other forms of trauma where the TBI, the blast could even be secondary in this case to more primary, shall we say, life-threatening injury. Um, you know, heightened, heightened tensions. I mean, all the, the social, you know, issues and, and, and psychological issues that go with that. But some of those also exist on the non-deployment side. I mean, if you're, if you're at the bottom of a mine shaft setting off charges, I mean, there's some of these other issues at play as well. Um, you know, if you're, you know, in, in a breacher training ground or something of that nature, you know, where you're lighting, you know, heavy, 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 um, explosive rounds, you know, there's still some of that, that pressure. Explain that a, a little bit and kind of delve into it a bit. I think our listeners might be curious. Yeah. So there's actually a lot of um, newer um, research, a lot of newer attempts to, to define these kinds of blasts. Um, and so let me start out by, um, by providing those definitions to you. So we have low level blast. Um, and this is something that uh, Jennifer Belding, Dr. Belding, um, over in San Diego has been doing. Um, so low level blasts are kind of those occupational exposures that um, you, know, you expect to get from, from training scenarios. And then we also have um, high level blasts, which are sort of incoming um, blasts that we would expect uh, folks to experience over um, in a deployment environment. So things like um, IEDs, mortars, rockets. Um, Jared, do you want to jump in? <laughs> sure. So um, we do see what we've seen in some of our work um, is really suggesting that it's the severity of the blasts that's more important necessarily than the, the number of the blasts. Um, a lot of the, the blasts that occur occupationally are, are typically what we would call controlled blasts. Um, and they're under what are considered safe circumstances. Um, now there have been some studies that have shown changes over time, especially in like the instructors on the breacher ranges, um, because they have much higher numbers of exposures to these things. Um, it's harder to see changes in the trainees on those breacher um, training grounds. Um, but when you have those very high numbers, you can start to see some differences. Um, but what our work really suggests is this is the higher level blast, the, those kind of incoming blasts, the uncontrolled ones, um, that are more important in determining some of these outcomes, um, like changes in brain function or changes in uh, psychiatric symptom presentations. Um, we've also looked at TBI in the same way. So do TBIs that occur in a deployment context different outcomes from TBIs that occur outside of the deployment context? And again, we see very significant differences there. Um, TBIs that occur in that deployment context are much more likely to lead to things like PTSD or changes in brain function or um, even changes in, in brain volumes in certain areas. Um, so we kind of the, the context in which these things occur seem to be um, seem to be important for determining the outcomes. All right. 
Well, it sounds like uh, Sensei Study 4 was a blast. No yeah, pun right. <laughs> no pun intended. No. no. Pun intended. I'm also here for the... Uh, <laughs> For the uh, comical part of the, <laughs> yeah, he took he took over right for now. me actually. He took it away. <laughs> we had Doctor Seal was the previous uh, uh, fellow podcaster, and you know the doctor was obviously the more serious one, so I had to come in. But sure. um, but yeah, transitioning from thirty four to the PLS, um, I'm going to give you two a shout out. Uh, we would not be anywhere near our goal if it wasn't for uh, the little engine that could Salisbury VA that has just been pumping out uh, participant after participant. And I want to, I want to give you two a, a chance to, to possibly um, uh, tell us what's in the secret sauce down there in Salisbury, other than that awesome restaurant I went to when I came down to visit that <laughs> right, one time. Right. <laughs> what, what are you guys doing there that you are far exceeding your goal? I mean, what is, what is, what is the secret? Well, gosh, Kevin, you've met us. Um, of course, <laughs> everyone wants to come participate. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> but in all in all seriousness, I think that um, our recruitment techniques, we, we have two advantages. Um, and one advantage is that uh, we are part of the Vision 6 Mid-Atlantic MIREC. And um, the Vision 6 Mid-Atlantic MIREC has an incredibly re- impressive um, repository of veteran participants that we that have given us permission to recontact them um, to come back and participate in our studies. So um, we were able to use that for Sensi 34, um, and we are also able to lean on that for Limbic. And this is this is a repository of. Um, 3,800 veterans, uh, 3,800, maybe closer to 4,000. I'm not really sure. Um, veterans who have participated in our studies at um, Salisbury, Durham, as well as Richmond and Hampton. Um, so we tend to have a really good relationship with our veterans that come back because they do get recalled for a number of studies. Um, I think the other piece of this, so recruitment is something that I'm very focused on. Um, I've been running my own research studies uh, at VA since I was in grad school. Um, And I had the privilege of working with a really impressive longitudinal study um, at the Wago VA. And I have to give um, Dr. Sandra Morissette a lot of credit um, for what she did with this study and the recruitment techniques that she included. And so I was able to bring a lot of those back to Salisbury. And that's been a major focus of ours. So we do, um, you know, recruitment mailings. Outreach is important. But um, at the end of the day, the biggest, uh, most important thing that we do is is relationship building. Um, And we have a really great team that happens to be really good at that. Uh, When people come in for studies, we try to show them a a good enough time, even though they are sitting around participating in research. but they see that in a positive light, they understand what they're contributing to. And often by word of mouth, you know, we have more people coming in as a result of that. Yeah, it is, it is uh, really neat as uh, understatement, but it, it's, it's really neat that a, a smaller area with a smaller population of veterans <clears throat> is able to produce the numbers that you guys are producing. So it's a testament to both of you two. It's also a testament to Kathy, who helped uh, 
you know, train you guys. So the best, the best uh, trait of a leader is when the leader leaves, how does the organization function? And uh, you guys are doing a great job. You know, it's a it's a very interpersonal professional interpersonal skill set that's that's required. I think a lot of times I think in research and it kind of goes back to that sort of NIH thing I was telling you about before we before we kick this podcast off. You know, to be able to get down there and talk to potential participants or veterans or families and make them you know part of the research as opposed to being a part of the research, if that if that makes any sense. And that's one of the reasons why we we do podcasts like this is to. To kind of push it out there to folks and if you're listening you know folks if you if you think you've got some problems or you just want to reach out and help you know you don't necessarily have to do these protocols here in limbic sensi but there are others that are out there i mean just think about it like this you know we all have to to work together to make the research better to help the generation that comes after us because the generation that came before us did it as well so it's just kind of a logical progression and everyone everyone kind of doing their part um no, this is uh, this is good stuff. It's always fun to see, you know. The and I'm not I'm not making fun of one one type of science or another, but something that's that's heavy and tough, for lack of a better term, coming down where you're actually in the field, you know, and 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 engaging and so forth. Um, we're coming up actually, I think, on on our time limit, if I'm not mistaken. Kind of looking at the clock here, so I kind of wanted to toss out there to you too. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts or comments or any takeaways for us or or for the uh, for our audience out there? I had one follow up. I, I do think that um, people that come in and participate in, in research are very interested in learning about that research and kind of what are they contributing to. Um, and so I think we try to be very responsive when people reach out to us about that and participants want to know what happened. We try to send them the articles that have been published using their data and update them on that, um, um, you know, whenever they ask us about it. And I think um, people people appreciate that. And, and I think the more we can do that, the more participants will understand what they're contributing to and how important it is. I think it's also really fun to have someone come back, you know, four years later and they're like, well, what did you do with my data? Um, I yeah. spent a day with you. I gave you all <laughs> of this information. What did you do with it and how does yeah. it affect me? And it's awesome to be able to you know, hand them a paper and like even walk them through it. And like, this is what we found. This is how it's meaningful. And then they're able to take that back. I think, um, yeah, man, that relationship building is super important in order to be able to, you know, continue conducting research, but also be able to effectively serve our, our veterans. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we... Pre-COVID, uh, you know, so pre-COVID, also, also Sensi, obviously, uh, we were trying to run participant appreciation events, yeah. all, all of the uh, enrollment sites, and yeah, we had differing uh, levels of engagement, involvement, uh, return mm -hmm. rate, so to speak, but um, the ones that did come were, were very passionate about finding out what we were doing, what we were doing with the data, and it was a chance to reconnect on more than just trying to take more data from them. Right, right. And, and we're always asking for something from them. This was a chance for them to ask something from us. I remember when I did, uh, I'm a participant in you know, study one or the longitudinal study. And when I did my baseline visit, I was, you know, most people in the military are very competitive people. I mean, you either, if you're not first place, you're either dead or a POW. So it's, you have to be a competitive person. And so when I was doing all that testing, I wanted to know how I was doing, mm -hmm. but the, 
the person taking the information is not allowed to tell you how you're doing on these tests. And it was very frustrating on my part because I was like, how did I do? And then when I found out it was just setting a baseline, I was like, I really screwed up because I should have set, set the bar lower. And then you guys could have seen how my memory got better as I went. But now that's probably why they didn't let me. That's true. <laughs> no, even as even as a young soldier, you know, and I was there, trust me, I was I was E1, I was equally worthless at one point too. It's always good for everyone to be able to know the plan or at least parts of it. You know, when you're just out there following orders, that's one thing. But when you have a conceptualization of what the objective is and what it takes to get to it, you can contribute in a lot of a lot of different ways. And I think sometimes that gets overlooked, but that's a leadership tenant, you know, and that's what I'm what I'm kind of seeing here. That's one of the reasons I stayed with this over the years when I first participated. I had a really interesting individual who involved myself, you know, in, in what was going on. I had an idea of what was going on. It wasn't just show up, here's some blood draws, go to the next room, and then just sort of work your way through in a $24 Walmart gift card. And I'm not, you know, it's just, there's there's ways to do it. And it sounds like you two are all over it. So uh, you got anything else there, Kevin, to, to add here? Um, is that restaurant still open? Has that restaurant <laughs> to COVID? What kind of food is it anyway? What, what kind of? It's, a, it's an Italian restaurant and an old uh, shut down Catholic church. Mm-hmm. It survived. Oh. It, yes, it survived. It's still, it's okay. still there. So if you come so, down, we can go try it again. Yeah. So when I'm, you know, maybe we should like factor in some recipes and restaurant critiques into the show here. Right. I mean, so that's kind of the limit. The GSC is letting us letting us go with it. So <laughs> you know, we we could have some fun with it. Yeah, so make, um, make my site think, visit. Uh, I'll take the two of you out. Yeah. For the <laughs> I think we've got that scheduled for next month already. Uh, yeah. No, I think that's perfect. We'd love to have you. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm in Montana. I don't know. We'll figure oh, it out. I can come up with interesting. Come up with interesting ways to do. It. I could probably be a very interesting subject for you too. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, if they, you might not let me go on that one. Um, well, I tell you what, it's nice to nice to see you two again, and thanks for coming on. Um, it was really interesting to hear what you had to say and kind of, and kind of how you're doing. And folks, if you're out there listening, I mean, try to get involved in something like this. You don't necessarily have to be into a study or anything like that, but you can. You know, read up on it. We have several links on the website here. You know, if you have any questions about what's being done uh, in this type of resource, or if you just have questions or, or about help or what's what's around you, definitely check out the website. You know, get in touch. If we can help you, great. If not, we'll definitely make sure you're pointed in the right direction. You know, it's it's never too late to always get up and talk to someone. You never you never know where uh, where you can go from there. So, with that, I'd like to thank you too once again for taking a, a moment out to join the the circus that uh, that we are. <laughs> we appreciate you having us on yeah no 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 and uh you know if you have any other questions or or just feel free to reach out to us or, or point people in our direction we're, we're here and we try to have fun as i said make it simple so with that i would like to thank ron up top and the team that remains unseen for keeping the wheels a turning in our podcast everybody have a great day and we will see you next month until then be safe and take care of each other Thank you to Sarah Martindale and Jared Rowland for joining Char Gatlin and Kevin Sickinger today on the Abstract Veterans Podcast. For more information, please visit limbic-cenc.org. The Abstract Veterans is produced by The Abstract Athlete. For more information, please visit theabstractathlete.com. And as always, follow us on all of our social media platforms under The Abstract Veterans, The Abstract Doctors, and The Abstract Athlete. See you soon for our next episode.